hey, everybody, your pets are pretty great. I mean, they're there for you when you had a bad day. They're they're warm. They often snuggle. And you should appreciate them more. They're not just chores. They're not just things to feed. I mean, like, if you got a dog, maybe they just get a treat just because, all right? Maybe you get out the mouse with a string for the cat. They might not be into it, but they know you're available, all right? Give your reptile a pellet. Give your emu whatever the fuck emus eat, all right? Sometimes they just deserve it to know they're special. So this is a cheers for mindfulness to say, appreciate your pets. I mean, they're not here forever, man. Just say, just say hey. What the fuck, Bob Barker? What, what is this? I thought there was like I thought there was a whole bit here, and it was literally just appreciating our pets. Are you not going to cheers no, to your it, pet? It's great. Like, do we have Murray. to tell our listeners that you're an animal no. hater I right love, now? Because that's not great for business. I just didn't know what I was getting into. All right, cheers. I'll drink to that. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And we're back in the podcast mines. Just making the mix six. Working a double. <laughs> Shuffling is up my ass about these safety regulations. You got exposed wires. There's no handrails around I, this table. You know, I, I, I live here. Like they're, yeah. not, they're not exposed it's at all. It's just a matter of time there's an accident. Right. But that's capitalism for you. I, anyway, we're back with our podcast where we have uh, six beers and six conversations. And we rate them on a five-point scale because... We love you, and That's we're hard-working we American men, and we we just put our noses to the grindstone and get the job done. I, we legitimately don't have a reason for why we do that. It's just that was the bit we came up with, yeah. so here we are. Yeah. I mean, I have to start it somehow. And in today's bit, um, we've got a little bit of a theme, so it's not stouts or pale ales or IPAs, but rather today's theme is, like many of our previous episodes, people, because every beer that we consume today was provided by Mark Wanicott and Janice McCambridge, really good friends of mine from way back when, who I got was fortunate enough to see. Brandy and I went to brunch with them over Christmas back in Kansas City at the Beer Kitchen, and it was lovely. We drank some Abraxas together. We caught up. They've been in North Carolina for some time, and they were kind enough kind enough to bring us a bunch of beer straight from North Carolina that we can't get here because distribution and capitalism and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and also some home brews, which we've not gotten into yet that we probably should just for fun because they brought them. Yeah. Uh, and so anyways, all the beers today provided by Mark and Janice. Thank you so much. Uh, awesome people doing awesome things, uh, bringing us awesome beer. Yes. Thank you. And they also probably have great pets. Just they do. They have two oh. super cool dogs. Right. And one of the dogs has different colored eyes, whatever that is called. That's a yeah. thing. Now I sound super ignorant, and I apologize for that. Yeah. Um, but they're really, David Bowie eyes. Yeah. There yeah. we go. David Bowie eyes. Do, uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I just I'm just going to keep bringing it up because your skepticism, your your anti animal skepticism, makes me really worried that you're not appreciative of Murray. He's I a great little. Dog. Appreciate Murray more than I probably should, <laughs> and certainly more than anyone else in the world has. The thing is, it's just like as you all know, we don't we put together a shared Google Doc for these things, and like sometimes stuff just ends up on the Google Doc, and I go with it. And so today, under the Cheers section, it just says two hour pets. And normally we coordinate about this stuff beforehand, and we didn't. And so I was like, okay, well, Caleb's got this bit. It's point. not a complex idea. It wasn't an anything. It was just literally about the nature of pet ownership, which yeah. is great. I support pet ownership if you're a responsible human. Fuck, man. Uh, while we drink these delicious beers provided by these wonderful people, we'll be using a five-point rating system as we usually do. And speaking of pets, Caleb, this is your rating system. It's a live-action movie, dogs. So I'm going to rate beers today by the quality of a movie animal. It's only going to be live action, though, so it cannot be 
cartoon dogs. All right, so important. You're yeah, you're up dog. Great, not on the list. He's right. not live action. What was the, the dog's name on Inspector Gadget? Because that dog was fucking awesome. Right. Brain. Yeah. Yeah. Brain. Yeah. Yeah. You also ignored one hundred and one Dalmatians. Literally, yeah, they're so, all out. Brain is way better than those all dogs. of those dogs. Yeah. Uh, so my number one, which is the worst beer you've had. And it's also the worst version of a uh, dog. It has multiple names, so it's hard to name. So I'm just going to call it the Yithian dog of endless suffering from a dog's purpose. So look, (laughs) a dog in a movie has one job for me, and that is not to die. Right. Totally reasonable. That's all that dog has to do for me to love that dog, because I do not want that dog dying on me. Yithian Dog of Endless Suffering dies dozens of times mm-hmm. throughout the movie, uh, over and over, especially while uh, they're actually hurting the real-world dog actors, according to that PETA scandal. And then he's also being all preachy about it. And you don't want that in a movie dog, just like you don't want this in a beer. It's all wrong. Uh, two is going to be the dog from The Thing. So worst thing a dog can do in a movie is die. <laughs> and you know what? Killing all of mankind and life on Earth after that is also not a great look. We don't yeah, know. Potentially, but it's not a great look. It's right. not, you don't even want to risk it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want it even to be an edge case. Uh, three is going to be Buddy from Air Bud. This is a solid pick. So look, he does his job, but you're going to have to give those trophies back. I know nowhere in the Little League rules does it say a golden retriever cannot play football with these children, <laughs> but I mean, there is a spirit of the law and a letter of the law. Yeah. And I feel like when that kid gets into high school football and like some 320 pound lineman, I have to tackle a, an aging golden retriever with hit dysplasia. The PTA is not going to be real popular with that kid who keeps bringing a dog and having him play instead of their son. I've never seen an Airbud movie. Like I any, thought it was basketball. Any, but well, he plays all of the sports. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. And yeah. when you get into the DTV era, he's he's doing baseball. He's <laughs> doing. It gets more. It gets more unbelievable. This franchise every time. has rich lore. Is what yes, you're rich. To be lore. honest, if you can train him to do one, I feel like you can train him to do all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really just a matter of time and dedication at that point. Uh, four. It's going to be a beer that's pretty dang good. It's going to be the Beast from Sandlot. All right, a sneaky good pick. This dog has a job. Do- job changes through the movie. Yep. Does that job too? Yep. So he's a workhorse. Uh, he also has a character arc as a dog. Yeah. While inspiring a character arc in a group of children, totally educational. He he's a solid dog. Taken out of context, the beast is actually just the clown from it. If he ended up being okay, right? Yeah, and yeah. If if you go down the sewer, it's like, oh no, he really just has balloons, right? And he's like pretty nice. He just wanted to hang out with you. (laughs) Yeah, no big deal. Uh, That's not that's not a lesson, children. Don't go don't go into the sewers. Nor is it at all how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's a very different film. Uh, Five is going to be Shadow from Homeward Bound. Man. Look, if the worst thing a dog can do in a film is die, the best thing they can do is refuse to die. And Shadow from Homeward Bound has like a Hugh Glass-esque survival story, all the while narrating is sounding like your grandpa. Uh, Fights a bear, climbs out of a pit, crosses rapids. That dog won't fucking go down. And he's like 13. He's old for dogs. But... It's a movie. Dogs shouldn't die in movies or in real life, and he knows that, and so he's not going down. Important question, and I know that this is an integer issue, but where does Beethoven go? Ooh, Beethoven? Yeah. Uh, he's definitely above Air Bud, because, you know, yeah. he's not, like, destroying sports contests. He might be, like, a 4.5 for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. I don't know if he's better than the Beast, though. Oh, man. 
We can fight about this later. I mean, the the guy, the family at best accepts him. He's never happy he's there. Beethoven? Like, no, yeah, the other, oh, the dad, he? he's always got this controversial relationship. The whole, but, the whole premise of the film is that by the end of it, he's come so around to Beethoven that in Beethoven 2, he's literally like fighting people off to keep the dog safe. Yeah, but then, yeah, but then like they have puppies and he's like being shitty about the puppies and then he has 18 more puppies. He doesn't want shit everywhere. That's not unreasonable. I'm just saying, like, he doesn't seem as dedicated as the, all the kids and James Earl Jones at the end of Sandlot. <laughs> I think you're wrong about this. We're going to get some beer. We're going to test this out. We'll be right back. Caleb, what is this beer and how would you rate it? I'm going to drink from Highland Brewing Company's uh, the Cold Mountain Winter Ale. Mark and Janice tell me that this is like one of the better beers they've had. They, in fact, at one point sent me a picture of like multiple six packs of this. That is a solid beast. Really? A good four? Yeah, that is intensely drinkable. That good is a starting. workhorse of a beer. Really good start. Um, as a winter ale, it's a little hoppier and lighter than you would expect for a winter ale, uh-huh. but like it doesn't really sacrifice much on flavor for like the maltiness. Are you still so, sick or can I, can I try No, you can, you can get into that. I Great. think I'm out of quarantine. Yeah. It is basically like getting a vaccine at this point anyway. I mean, you know, it's just... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could drink a lot of those. That's surprising. I could, uh, I could kill try. quite a few of those. When you said lighter and hoppier, I assumed that they'd maybe taken... You know, winter ales typically have a lot of those spices on the front end. Yeah, yeah. No, they're all still there. Yeah. Um, but I, it's got a... It doesn't stray into no, IPA, it, it's, but it's, it's like it's a light. good amount of hop. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah, that beer. That's cool. a very drinkable beer. That. My goodness. Um, hey, we're into dissecting our fun. If you've listened before, you typically know that the first segment that we do is something about board games. Um, and today we've got uh, Lex Perman gave us this wonderful suggestion. And Lex suggests, I'd love to hear about what card and especially board games you would suggest for avid tabletop RPG fans who've missed that corner of the hobby entirely. Ideally stuff with a more narrative angle and opportunities for emergent play than just pure mechanics. And mm-hmm. this is actually right up your alley because if I remember correctly, when we moved back and started playing board games together, you were deep in the RPG space but hadn't really done a lot of board games. Yeah, yeah. So this is like a really good angle for you. And <clears throat> based on the hundreds of games we've played together over the last few years, I went through and made a few notes on things that really stand out to me that have the opposite effect, kind of rub up against that, oh, this is starting to feel a little bit more like an RPG, and now I have to negotiate my internals around how much I like or don't like that. So you want to go, get going? Uh, yeah, I would I would say, Lex... Um, the first thing I'll probably suggest is that you are probably overthinking it. Like, mm. so for me, I just hadn't been exposed to board games as in they were good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I played board games as a kid. They weren't good. They weren't fun. I wrote them off as a thing. Like, chess was okay. I wrote them off as things I didn't do. And then you guys got really into board games. And I knew at that point, going to Gen Con, that they were a thing that had beyond that thing. But I, I just thought it was like... Wargaming or something that I didn't sure. find enjoyable because really I thought Monopoly. they would. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, like <laughs> fancy Monopoly, Monopoly with better or, art. Right. Uh, like I thought I was expecting roll and move and stuff. And so you showed me a game, and it wasn't that, and it was actually well designed. Yeah, unlike Monopoly right. or any of the games we played as children. And then that was it. That's all I needed to be really into board games because yeah, sure. they had all sorts of design elements, the same kind of design elements I found interesting in RPGs. So that was that. Uh, I think what Lex might need help, though, is that there is also a brand of RPG player who might put up 
far more resistance than I did. Yeah. Because perhaps they have uh, ideas about board games that are um, not really baked into uh, why they enjoy RPGs. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a matter of exposure. They've got some sort of hurdle that you need to jump over beside the big seven games that suck that everyone played as a kid. Um, So... I think the thing you have to do is decide why they play RPGs before you pick which board game to oh, expose yeah, them yeah. to. I like right? that. I like that as a as a tip. It's not one that I'd thought about. I mean, I'll admit that like maybe the worst thing. I, I kind of took the question at face value, but I like that your search for kind of a root issue here might expose other options. For me, it was more like what feels like taking. Um, and granted, this is like my really short shrift understanding of RPGs. As we all know, I've played a limited amount of these. I'm trying to get more into them. But what kind of takes some of the things that I think are at the thematic forefront of that experience and pulls it into the board game, card game realm? So a couple things came to mind. Like, first and foremost, the maintenance of a campaign or the sense that the story goes beyond that which is happening on the board and has some levels or depth to it chronologically and narratively. Two games came to mind immediately. One, and, and this was really one of the first games that we, the four of us, you, me, Sarah, Brandy, started playing a lot, Mice and Mystics, Yes, is a fantastic option, I think, for um, stereotypical RPG players, probably, to be able to jump over to the board space. There's a ton of content. Also the reverse. If I was oh, going to have uh, board gamers jump over into the RPG space, yes. it's like, look, and just instead of reading these parts of the book, I would just make some shit up. Yeah. Otherwise, it's pretty much the same. That's yeah. how I would pitch an RPG For sure. to somebody who is hardcore in the board game space. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, Mystics is, and, and games like that is a great bridge. Right. I mean, look, there's a ton of content. I think we've probably poured 20 plus hours into Mice and, Mice and Mystics and some of the expansion. Oh, yeah. You can uh, have you know persistent char- character selection where you, for example, are always playing the same character over those 20 hours and... Well, experience that can bleed over into the next game. That's right. It's not, it's not it, limited, though. It's not a legacy game. Right, right. which is important, I think, actually, because yeah. I think that's part of the board game experience, that the the challenge resets anew in the same way that a new campaign or a one-shot might do the same thing for RPG players. Uh, similarly, Time Stories, um, certainly not as much of the sustained campaign from play to play because the stories change, but the opportunity for emergent play in Time Stories well, seems real hot and heavy. Yeah, here's where I go off the going to differ with you here. Yeah. I think they're both great for transferring RPG players into the board game space. I think they're great for different types of RPG players. Okay. So, for instance, you got your Mice and Mystics, a lot of tactical combat, flanking bonuses, all that stuff. Yeah. And then it's going to depend on the fact that, like, how deep into they are the rules are they. So do they want the tactical combat? Do they want the RPG without you having to prep the RPG session? Mm. Like, and just Mm -hmm. goes faster? Mice and Mystics is great. Um, But, like, the majority of the market is still D&D and then even more complex Pathfinder or you got Warhammer people. So like then maybe go Gloomhaven, go, go uh, Shadows Over Brimstone. Talisman. Yeah. Descent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Do descent. something, especially if it's like Gloomhaven has those legacy mechanics, like my stickers permanently upgrading my character now. Right. Like that kind of stuff. Cause it's really just a very complex RPG with a lot of prep work taken out for you. Yeah, that's a good idea. With really high quality components. So if they want to break out the minis and the hex map and they're all about the tactical combat and the grabbing gear and they're in that type of fun, yeah, go for it. I wouldn't give that time stories to that person though. 
Uh, not that person, no. I'd give time stories to the person who really wanted to take a narrative or a character yeah. and embrace a setting and then kind of run with it because... Yeah, they w- they want to role play their character because right. like, you're given a name and some stats and that's it. And yeah. It's basically just a prescribed one shot. Right. The mechanics are very easy to engage with, but like it's also very easy to like, oh, I'm playing the little girl that is a cannibal. Right. Let me role play that. It's like, also it's also one of the things that we didn't we probably intentionally didn't do enough of in the two rounds of time stories we've played, which yeah. is make decisions based on the embrace the profile of the character as much. Yeah, it's like what's the right thing to do. And, in this yeah, and, yeah, and we metagamed it, but I think that's ultimately mechanic you're supposed to arrive at. Yeah. In time stories, which but you is, don't have to start there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, yeah, it's it's very much like a one shot. It's it's yep. that kind of stuff, and there is legacy between different play. And uh, there is, yeah, it's all emergent play or pandemic legacy where yes. you're like writing relationships with other characters. I think that could be tight. There are no reason you can't RP the fuck out of right. whatever your medic's name is. That's right. And, you know, like, and I really think that's the bonus of legacy games. And um, those people are going to be more narrativists. They're going to be more into role playing and right. hamming it up. And like legacy games are great for that because like the reward of narrative is getting more narrative yeah. and the reward of legacy games is the mechanics revealing more narrative. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, the, a great the idea. legacy games that don't like really resonate with a lot of people who are into legacy games are things like Charter Storm, where it's like, well, there's a new building there. Right. Yeah. I can move on that space I now. Can go there. The mechanics are different in a way. Like, yeah, and that's not like Algiers is no more. Right. Like right. in that, yeah, that kind of stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up on a weird suggestion. So outside of the more in-depth uh, board game experience, something that I've encountered a little bit and I've seen people do, I've not actually played the game in this way, but I've talked to people who have. Gloom is oh, a sneaky fun little great. card game. Yeah. And if you really want to embrace the narrative aspect of role playing, embracing the narrative of the the stories of the families that you're in control of and then how you interact with the other families. Yes. I've seen a few people do this and it takes this like really simple fun card game and really explores the creative depths of it. There there's a reason RPGers like a lot of um party games yeah. like uh, Werewolf, Cards Against Humanity, Jesus, but Super Fight, uh, Super Fight for better games, Channel A for better yeah. games, uh, and they, they like that sort of creativity to expand on that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah Gloom's great. That yeah. sort of like it's unmired from the mechanics, but you still get to have fun with right. the narrative. And the variety of skins would allow you to yeah. role play a variety of different Lovecraft settings. or yep. Edgar Allan Poe or whatever you want. Pick a thing. Um, I would also suggest maybe Mysterium. Oh yeah, you can also kind of get some role play in that, but it is a creative intelligence game, yep. and it it, it do, sort of redeems the concept of clue. Yes, uh, so like it it'll kind of tick all your boxes at once by like disproving a bad old game you played as a kid, while at the same time requiring some creative intelligence and allowing for some role play because those are some some evocative ass psychic pictures totally that are. you pick your player from. Yep. Like, totally, I'll agree. be Madam Hinsley or whatever I am. So um, that'd be a good pick. There, uh, for the hardcore D and D, if you're trying to get hardcore D and D players into board games, uh, Lords of Waterdeep because D and D setting. Uh, and oh yeah, that's another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, I mean it's a totally different type of game. You know, and oddly placement. enough, not a lot of role playing elements in it that yeah. you can really sink your teeth but in. If but if they like D and D as a phenomenal like game, a yeah. setting, like yep. they they they'll jump on a Lords of Waterdeep. So yeah, they'll uh, just get a kick out of recognizing names off the cards. Yeah, so, and right? it's a good game. So like, yeah, it's a really good game. Yeah, yeah. Um, So anyways, there's a couple suggestions, Lex. Uh, Good luck as you uh, move into the board game space out of the RPG space. Thanks so much for the suggestion and the recommendation. On that note, we're going to grab more delicious beer and another topic, and we'll be right back. (laughs) 
Spencer, what are you drinking? Um, I'm really excited to stumble over this name, uh, the Brahmari Brewing Company. Brahram, no, Brahmari. We're going with that. Um, it's the Good Fight Sour Pale Ale. It is a wonderful can. I need to say, just in terms of art, this is a beautiful can. If, if I remember to, I will take a picture of it and post it somewhere. Um, I'm kind of astounded by it. Anyways, is she wearing mascara, or did she get punched in the eyes? Right, I, or I, both. Right, because she's a boxer, I want to be clear. Yeah. That's why she would look like that. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in there. Uh, yeah, she's like got tattooed arms, and she's got like this. I don't. She's got I, fi- I, a fisticuffs pose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. No, she looks. It's a. It's it's great art. Um, um, yeah, so definitely happy. Um, sour on the front end, very light drinker, which I really like. Uh, honestly, I'd probably drink a couple more of those. That also might be a beast for me, and I'm typically not crazy about the overly hoppiness of yeah, I want to try that too. Uh, pales, India, or otherwise. Um, and that is a very drinkable beer with that front end. Yeah, it's probably no more than three for me, but sure. yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty hoppy for a sour. Asheville, yeah. North Carolina, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a delicious little light drinker. Yeah, 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 light. Yep. Yeah, yep. Um, mm-hmm. this is definitely yeah, a summery spring kind of beer. Yeah, for sure. I would drink the shit out of these in spring. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. spring summer. Good call. Hey, we're in a nerd splainer, and it's a little bit of a Benjaminger fusion. And the best part about this is fusion. Neither producer Ross nor I have watched any more than like an episode of Altered Carbon. So this is going to be your opportunity to do. I've only watched all of them in one day. Right to do what you what you've wanted to do since the moment you turned Altered Carbon on, which is just spew love at altered carbon yeah uh and this was a suggestion from multiple people this week uh so really? uh yeah a lot of people want to hear about altered carbon in fact i think one of the suggestions was just altered carbon or altered carbon mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and i didn't have more than that altered so carbon i kind of had to put my own spin on that uh so i'm gonna go with uh altered carbon or hard sci-fi 101 yeah uh, where do you start with this show? Yep. So uh, what I was sort and we talked about this in a different episode where I sort of recused myself from criticism, not in that article Car- carbon is above criticism, but in that I am so thrilled to see it on the screen. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Right. Because uh, I am all in. And uh, that is also not going to be the case for many people because right. they didn't read all of the novels and read all the novels I, that inspired the novel and write for the RPG inspired by the novels, inspired <laughs> by the novel, and they're not that hard into it. So, um, and the thing is, if you're watching this show, they're going to drop you right smack dab in the middle of it, as I'm sure you can realize after the first episode. Yeah, they don't give a fuck about it. And you. they don't give a damn whether you understand what the hell is going on. Nope. Um, and, and if I might say, they don't give a damn about how much you know or don't know, and they're going to put all of that confusion in the middle of overstimulation c- central, yeah. which is the most lights and music and weird experiences yeah. you can possibly have. And I'm 90 minutes into it, maybe an episode and a half, and you're not wrong. It's fucking great. So I imagine uh, this is going to be old hat for a lot of our uh, patrons, at least, because you know if they're familiar with my work, they probably know about a lot of stuff in Alter Carbon. Uh, but you know, if you have friends who are just like, "What the fuck is with that weird show where the the white Japanese guy wakes up with a 
with a in fights people with a hotel like they, they're gonna be deeply confused so maybe just direct them on over to the mix x just they don't have to pay like 10 bucks a month they don't have then, to pay 10 bucks yeah, a month i mean i mean it's only polite too just um <laughs> they can just throw us 10 bucks a month and we can let them know where to start yeah. so uh altered carbon is based off the novels by richard morgan uh there's a set of three uh, it is the first is Altered Carbon. Then there are Fallen Angels, and uh, I forget the other one. I want to say it's Burning Chrome. I can't remember, but um, they are written in the '90s, early 2000s, and they are very much an evolution of the cyberpunk genre. So, but they are not cyberpunk insofar as they are transhumanism and hard sci-fi. So. The principle of Altered Carbon is based around the cortical stack, which is minds can be digitized. Uh, so digital minds can be transferred from bodies to bodies. Woken Furies? Uh, Woken Furies, that's it. Burning Chrome's a Gibson novel. I screwed that up. I apologize. Please stop typing the comments. Nope, keep right it coming. Now. Keep right, it coming. I'm just going to let me delete my Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And, okay, we're back. Don't worry. It, it's still <laughs> going to be talking, giving Spencer anime recommendations. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that is it, cover it, it's for like a chaff. while. It's, it's a yeah. smoke screen. You're safe for a solid yeah. year. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, the cortical sack is something that records all of your experiences. It can be backed up periodically into hard drives, though it is enormously expensive. And uh, it uh, can be transferred into other bodies, which are vat grown via you know magic stem cell cloning technology, which is theoretically possible. Um, the reason this is such a big deal in the Alter Carbon universe is because it's hard sci-fi, so there is no faster than light travel. So though they have colonized the universe, they colonized it by sending generation ships through space for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The only thing they have figured out is quantum entanglement and faster than light uh, information travel. So they can basically broadcast souls. So you can send a giant ship through the void of space for hundreds of years. When they get there, robots and AIs can have all these sleeves, which is what they call bodies there. And then you can just download brains into them to be your colonists and do your other world. All right. So they've cured death. It's basically utterly radical. Uh, it changes the human condition entirely. So the world of Arctic Carbon is post-racial, which is going to make, like, I've seen accusations of whitewashing, and I don't know what to start with because, you know, the guy who plays Takeshi Kovacs, who is the main character, is all up through that series in flashbacks and in other sleeves, not as Takeshi Kovacs. Uh, so, like, he has a job, and it's pretty big, but Takeshi Kovacs is sleeved in a white guy, which is actually how it occurs in the book. So it's a post-racial culture. It's a post-gender culture, which they didn't lean into as much. But um, in the book series, Takeshi Kovac has screwed as every human gender and everything in between and some animals. Uh, so, And he's down with all of it, uh, if he's even a he anymore because he is in a sleeve. So, um, But here's the thing about it. It is still ultimately a cyberpunk novel, especially the first one. Uh, he is solving a mystery procedurally. And he is solving a, uh, you know, crime in a dirty, corrupt society. And the thing is, this transhumanism, at least in Richard Morgan's work, is not liberative. In fact, it makes absolutely every aspect of the human condition worse. By curing death, they make uh, there's economic functions regarding life now that are even more concerned. Uh, violence becomes more and more and more prevalent because it does, has no serious consequence of death if you have the money to cure it. 
Um, it becomes more gender ex- exploitative, more sexually exploitative. Everything becomes grimmer and awfuler. The 1% becomes the point zero 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 one percent and they're all immortal, and Donald Trump never dies. And it is uh, bleak. It is Neuromancer Gibson-level bleak with technology that makes it more bleak. It's not, uh, it's not a Ken Stanley Robinson novel. Uh, the advance of this radical stuff makes uh, everything weird. So... In the book and in the series, Takeshi Kovacs is solving the murder of what is called a meth. They're not going to tell you what that is, but a meth is an, an, an immortal human, a human that is so rich that they can afford to clone their body. They're not left in whatever body they're allowed. And they can... Uh, it's short for Methuselah, right? Yes, they, yeah. can, they can essentially live forever. Um, and so you're going to be weirded out in the first episode. He's like, I need you to solve my own murder. And the guy's talking to him. But it's because he was murdered, and then he was backed up from his silica, his, his stack. Well, not his stack. His backup. He has an off-site backup. Right. And now he's back talking to the guy. He just doesn't remember being murdered because the stack was destroyed. So he was backed up before the stack got destroyed, and so he lost two days. So he's basically just deciding what happened in those two days for the whole series and in the whole first book. Um, so it's going to be odd. But as he does that, he is going to be jumping around bodies. He is going to be sleeved virtually, which means that if your brain is software, you don't have to be thrown into a body. You can be thrown into a virtual space, which they do with a weird fisheye lens effect. That I, I'm still up in the air about, but it was interesting. Um, and it's going to be out there. Like uh, I will say my favorite part of the show God, I can't ruin it, though, because you're one episode in. Yep. Anyway, there yep. is a character actor who is not a main character in the show who plays no less than five or six people sleeved in the same body, and that man deserves every award possible because he kills it. Like, it is an acting masterclass. It's like, today, this person is inside you in your skin. And, like, his appearance never changes, but his everything about his mannerisms and his, and his languages and everything else changes, and he is brilliant that is really well done um but yeah it is transhumanist but it is not very woke because it is ultimately an 80s cyberpunk novel with cooler technology so it's going to be there'll be mono wire garrets and people with katanas and and pulsar laser guns and all that gibson 80s cyberpunk bullshit uh, and it's just going to be worse because they can kill each other with even greater impunity because <laughs> killing someone is like vandalizing their car to most people. So, um, yeah, that's the basic principle. Uh, if you can get that far, though, you can get the rest on context clues. The problem I would see with it with other people is that they don't give you much in context clues for this brand new Netflix original, which makes me love it all the more. Again, I recuse myself for criticism because they just didn't tell you things. Uh, but otherwise, they are. Uh, it, it, death is defeated because you have a hard drive. But you know, the hard drive moving to different computers is very expensive, and those are bodies. Um, and there's other things. Uh, there's also going to be weird, freaky monsters. But you know, if you can genetically engineer Ooh. bodies on the fly, why yeah. wouldn't you genetically engineered weird, freaky monsters? Uh, also, there's going to be a thing called sleeve sickness, which they never explain, but you just really just have to think about it. If I was suddenly in Spencer's body, I'd be pretty fucking freaked out right now. Okay, cool, man. I mean, I'd be a different height. Yeah. Like, I would have a different gait. It'd be pretty fucked up. I don't think you can walk if this one say- back. <laughs> I think the damage is done. <laughs> all right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, all right. How about this? If you were suddenly in Murray's body, 
Would you be fine with that? Back to the pet thing again. I'm just, a, you got a real circle in the drain here, Caleb. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there is a limited number of times people do that unless they can clone themselves endlessly, which you have to be rich to do, because it is innately freaky to like be a woman and wake up in a man or be a seven-year-old girl and wake up in a 60-year-old woman. Uh, like, you know, it, it is pretty messed up. So uh, also don't watch shows. Don't watch the show with the kids in the room. No, that's no. not necessarily Don't true of hard sci-fi or books, but it's definitely true. You wouldn't want to read this aloud for you know bedtime stories, and you definitely don't want to watch Ultra Carbon with your kids in the room or with your parents in the room because they like to screw. This like, show they really, fucks. they really, really do. It yeah. re- as producer Ross has stated it quite well. Uh, so yeah, that's that's. Altered Carbon and hard sci-fi in a nutshell. You got to get past the fact that nothing's moving faster than light. And the way they did it was like brains are tech, are information now. And you just like email them. Just go get them. Across the universe. Just go pick so, one out. Uh, and it ends up for a crazy sci-fi uh, cop story. So, yeah. Also worth watching. Check it out. More beer. More stuff. More mixes. Be right back. Caleb, it's beer three. What you having? I'm going to have from High Wire Brewing Company's High Wire's Goza. So I'm going to drink it now. It's got another tattooed lady on the Typically, uh, can. love us yeah. the Gozas. Yeah. Gozas are usually good. <sighs> Caleb doesn't love the Goza. That was a sour face. <clears throat> hey, sour beer. Get it. That's not a good Goza. I'm oh. sorry. I'm sorry, fellas. Um... Is it just a Gozo, or like what's in it? That might be the Yithian dog of endless suffering. Wow, that might be a one. I'm sorry, it's not. No, it's, it happens. It's got some uvula skunk on it. Uh, mm. Still water rule. Everyone has to try once. So Ross, <laughs> I saw that. He's actually trying to be alive. Right? Yeah, I did not. I did not care. This is just one, us guys. being masochists at this point. That's yeah. right. It's got almost nothing on the front end, and it just. It just wipes its dirty boots on the back of your throat. Ross it is not super pleased. Yeah, that, yeah, the back of the throat. Like what? Yeah, What's it up is with not that? great. Um, it just lingers there. Um, it's very yeah. There's very little on the front end. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I don't mind that. Oh god. Well, more more power to you, buddy. Uh, that is not my speed. Coriander. No, That's coriander. I would give it a one. It is the coriander. I, 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 I would give it a two. Yeah, I would give it a two. Yeah. yeah. If it had more up front, it'd be the two. But it doesn't have enough up front. Yeah, it's very watery. to be making up for the back. It, yeah, it's very watery on the on the yeah. tip of the tongue, and then it's like, oh, there, oh, there's something. It's nothing, but, yeah. and then no. Right. Yeah, right. Um, hey, we're into getting lit, errature, um, and we've got a great suggestion from a Greg B this week. This was ha- this was it with yeah. with a bullet. There yeah. was no deliberation once I saw this. Greg one. B wants us to do. Is also your number one vote getter. Oh, holla! Yeah. Wants us to do the old remake treatment with books. We've certainly explored these landscapes with film in the past, and I have been. Um, you know what? I'm going to misremember this. Applauded for some of my decisions. <laughs> We're going to do the same thing with books. So, what book's story would you like to see tackled by a different author? And Greg B also put in a request for a dishonorable mention. And we aim to please. We so do nothing do we, but. Do we want to start with the dishonorable mention, or do we want to start with the actual suggestions? I think people are going to want us to end with the dishonorable mention. Okay. I think they want the suspense of things we don't want to see. Do yeah. you want to go one to three, or do you want to go three to one? Let's go three to one. Okay, that's Love my it. intention. Let's so. do it. You want to start, or you want me to start? Uh, you start. 
Okay, great. Um, look, I had to think an awful lot about this. Uh, I came up with like nine book remakes before landing on these three, and oh. then I thought of more, but I'm just like, I have a job to do. I cannot constantly be going back to the dock to yeah. add and adjust. So these are the three I landed on. I don't think they're the best. I just I just keep... It's a great idea. It's a great thought experiment. My problem was I just kept saying, what would I like to see Kurt Vonnegut rewrite? And yeah. it was like, all the books. And I moved away from that because I'm like, yeah, all the books. Right. And I'm just like, well, that's not very interesting, though. Right. Just like make Kurt Vonnegut write all books. Right. Like, So I, I disqualified myself. I didn't let him on the list at all. He made the list for me, but he made the bottom of the list, okay. is what I've decided. And um, I, read a, I read a book about two years ago that I thought was fucking great by, I think, Robin Sloan called Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic book, like really fun, interesting themes, like this odd um, fusion, fusion of <laughs> um, like you know hard technical uh, uh, computing and the myth of or the lore of like a uh, secret society and a backstory and maybe some weird like fucking magic. I don't know. And this like odd national treasure code breaking mm-hmm. thing. And I sat there and I kind of thought through all of it. And I, what I liked about it was how contrived everything was in the book. To move from point A to point Z, there has to be um, a ridiculously deep interwoving of fabrics to get you from where you start and where you need to end. And then I think about Vonnegut's approach, which is to celebrate the randomness and calamity of the universe. And I thought it'd be really interesting to see someone who only ascribes meaning to a thing after they run into something else that it, that is important and then says, now that these two things have collided with one another, here's the effect of that. And instead put him in a universe where um, things need to be really mechanically worked out beforehand. Yeah. So it would be an interesting take, I think, on what is probably my favorite approach to the universe. Mm-hmm. And I'm very interested in it, not to mention favorite author of all time. Yeah, that'll, that'll do it. Number um, three for you? Uh, I want to see uh, David Foster Wallace do Ender's Game. Yes. First off, it yes. would be 2,000 pages long, <laughs> which would be very interesting, uh, you know, because I, I, I don't have the guts to uh, tackle Infinite Jest, but uh, I feel like I could read a remake of Ender's Game because there would yeah. at least be signposts of the plot, I remember. And I don't think anybody does interiority or genius better than David Foster Wallet. Like, the, the, the stories in uh, brief interviews with Hideous Men where it's just like, these recursive loops of depression and like self-analysis that these characters go through in these endless fucking loops. I want to see that, but it's like a chess game with other like psychotic children Mm -hmm. playing Mm -hmm. laser tag. Yeah. And I, I like, there'd be some actual plot to it, which is what I fear would kill me in infinite jest Yeah, is the endless recursive psychological loops. But like you needed to depict genius in, in the mind. And I think he can do that. And you also need this sense of interiority of like the chess game is in eight dimensions at once. And I think no one else could do, I think no one could do that better than David Foster Wallace bonus. I could like Ender's game again with slightly less guilt. Cause he's just a misogynist that's what, yeah. and not a crazy that's right. racist asshole. Yeah. So, Amen. uh, slightly less guilt for enjoying that book. I once enjoyed, I saw this recommendation on your notes and I thought, yeah, it would be weird to watch Matthew McConaughey 
play Ender. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I felt about that. Like, yeah, that'd be really cool. Everyone treats him like he's a seven-year-old, right. though. Yeah. No one, they just don't hang a lantern on it. They just... And he just leans into yeah. it. I mean, full rust coal. Yeah. <laughs> all um, right, all right, all right. right. I, took a, uh, I took a slightly different approach here. So I'm pretty sure I've admitted this before. And if I haven't, then I'm admitting it under the cover of the, an- the great anime debacle of 2018. So there's no way everyone can get at me about everything. Um, I've not read the uh, Lord of the Rings books. I've tried a million times, but ain't nobody got time for that. Like, I love the idea of Lord of the Rings books. I hate the language of the Lord (laughs) of the Rings book. I do not need a motherfucking thesaurus to get through your shit. (laughs) So I thought, what if Ernest Hemingway rewrote the Lord of the Rings books? (laughs) Like, how fucking great would that be? (laughs) Even Peter Jackson couldn't make a movie that good. You know what I mean? Like... Oh, man, there's a fucking sword. He picked up the sword. And it's like, that's, I think, all of the second and third Lord of the Rings books by Ernest Hemingway. (laughs) The battle scenes might be a little lackluster. They fought for a time. Right. This side won. (laughs) Someone shot a thing. (laughs) That was Helm's Deep. That was all of it. Those two sentences. The the two towers. Aragorn stared at a dead soldier in a pit. (laughs) (laughs) The two towers films would just, it it would be seven minutes. And... And on the one hand, we would miss the Battle of Helm's Deep, which I think is the single greatest cinematic battle in history. <laughs> For sale, one ring, seldom worn. <laughs> That's it. There you go. There it is. Yeah. Never mind. Man, I almost put a David. I almost did a Matthew McConaughey joke for Andrew's game. Yeah. It's like the thing I love about battle schools, no matter which wall I'm on, the enemy <laughs> gate's always down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, anyways, I would read the fuck out of the Ernest Hemingway Lord of the Rings. Your turn. Uh, I want to see H.P. Lovecraft's Picture of Dorian Gray. Man. Ooh. So, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> Picture of Dorian Gray, Oscar Wilde, uh, is commenting on the decadences of hedonism, right? mm mm-hmm. uh, But then there's just this magic fucking picture that represents stuff, and it's there and not explained. So Lovecraft would be really intrigued about what dark book and magic gave you this immortal picture. And then also he'd be terrified by the hedonism, like utterly, to, like people are fucking, like he, he can't imagine that, it squicks him out, and then when you get into like the drug use, or they might not be having traditional missionary sex, right. he would lose his, and the whole book would just be this terrifying screed of like weird mythos sorcerer meets 24-hour party people in a Victorian parlor. Like he just couldn't handle it because he'd be so freaked out by the concept. I think, I think what i would really like about this book is like the every page you turn you're just waiting for cthulhu something to show up <laughs> yeah and it never happens yeah. like that would be the best part you know something's tied to that picture though like i the think it's more of a carcosa of thing yes. the decadence is more of a carcosa thing but uh, i know that wasn't lovecraft don't do not at me um <laughs> Uh, this was literally a coin toss though because i had because i was gonna say jane austen all of hp lovecraft uh, who God. is verbose and has the sentence structure to handle it, but it also w- use words used sometimes in the past four centuries and would not say it was indescribable as a description of a monster for every fucking time something happens. She might at least describe it as being like in poor taste with the color scheme of the drapes or something to give me or any ch- visual or cue. Or Charles Dexter Ward's going to get married. Like. <laughs> yeah, which is also terrifying. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, I, I want to see that uh, dom- domestic uh, she walks in shadow, like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. But HP wanted a coin toss, so I'll, I'll give him uh, doing a picture of Dorian Gray. I was thinking Octavia Butler yeah. writing HP Lovecraft, so. Also, that would be also be yeah. great. Anybody writing Lovecraft but Lovecraft is yeah. pretty much my favorite genre. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, number one on my list. So, like, I admit to liking this book more than pretty much everyone I've ever talked to. But I understand its flaws, and I see where it could be improved. I really enjoyed the story of Ready Player One. I really hated the writing of Ready Player oh, One. Oh, it is trash. It's the worst <laughs> writing in the history of writing. But the story, I was all in well on. Well plotted, yes. And so I thought, who would I like to see re- re- rewrite that shit? It's Stephen King. I would like to see Stephen oh, King's good writer. Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, not just good writer, but like good writer who understands extended journey through weird place. And the time set in which the, the, the book is set. Yeah, absolutely right. Though he did lose most of the 80s to cocaine. That's what I'm hoping. So he's gonna be like, Gallagher was a better. thing? Yeah. I don't know. I was directing Maximum Overdrive. No, like, like that would be even better. Like, <laughs> imagine the scene where the where Og shows up and they're having like some weird like in the space party. Like Stephen King on cocaine. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Well, I, I mean, that'd be my avatar right. in, in the net or what whatever a it's party. called. Yeah. Now, here's the real meta bit. Imagine that it's Stephen King writing Ready Player One, and instead of traipsing through random 80s shit. The characters are traipsing through random Stephen King shit. No, I read that book. It was the last three of the Dark Tower. <laughs> I was and it just going to say, fucking that miserable. That's what I'm saying. The then we call it Dark Tower Eight, and it's the or Dark. Tower it doesn't eight. need to be Dark Tower. 8. It can be Dark Tower Five or Six or Seven. Or... I thought Dark Tower Eight was the movie. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Speaking of Matthew McConaughey, uh, I'm yeah. very anti that pick because you referenced Dark yeah. Tower. There's a big circle for you. <laughs> All right, uh, number one on your list. Uh, mine is going to be Zadie Smith's Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah. Uh, so I have gotten most of the way through Confederacy of Dunces like three times. I don't care for it. I don't like any of the characters. I know it's supposed to be funny because they're not self-aware, but I have the It's Always Sunny Seinfeld problems. Like, well, I don't give a shit about anybody in this book, and whatever they do, it's probably going to be disappointing and <laughs> blind to their own flaws. And there's only one person who's done that in a way that I actually liked it, and that was Zadie Smith's White Teeth, which mm-hmm. is one of the greatest novels ever written, in my opinion. So I would very much like to see Zadie Smith take a crack at the Confederacy Dunces because I imagine she's going to not be a fair of... A th- she's not going to be so afraid of ethereal commentary like O'Toole is that she's going to like just sidestep some of the shit Ignatius does and expect you to get the joke yourself. Cause like she will find some deeper meaning in it. That is also funny. Like there will be sort of this Douglas Adams S commentary on the ridiculous shit I'm seeing. And this ridiculous character that can't see it. And I needed more authorial distance between uh, Ignatius and his mother and that stupid cop than I got in Confederacy of Dunces to give a shit about it. And I think Zadie Smith would provide exactly that much. I mean, the first chapter of, of White Teeth, where like the guy's talking about killing himself in his car and like uh, being interrupted by pigeons shitting on it. Like that God, that's just so darkly comic and farcical um, that I think she could pull it off in a way that I would actually finish the book because I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> that's After an important three condition. attempts. Yeah. Yes. Uh, dishonorable mentions. All right. So um, I wanted to pull from the trash cannon here. So I wanted to rewrite from the thing that we lambast most often, even though I think both of us agree there's probably some worthwhile work in there. But I also wanted to nod to my good friend, Caleb Stokes. I highlighted it. It's so good. <laughs> Pet lover extraordinaire. 
So good, yes, let everyone know. Good to great like my pets. by Jim Collins is despite despite living in the trash can and is in fact one of the like better business books I've ever read. It is like an empirical study of a number of companies that have gone from what he considers to be good performers to great performers and the reasons that they did that. He introduces some like foundational principles in management philosophy, in business philosophy, and it has really been a guiding light for a number of people and a guiding principle for me in some ways. And so I thought, who would I like to see rewrite what is widely regarded as the business book of the 20th century? And the only person I could come up with was Karl Marx. <laughs> I think it would be stunning to figure out, A, what good to great means to Karl, and then B, how he might suggest one gets there. What, what's the path to transcendence here? Give the keys to the, of the factory to the workers. <laughs> right, right. But see, that's the trick, right? I mean, the, the thing about good to great is that it's empirical. You've got to go beyond just the suggestion. You've got to go into the data. And so watching it get spelled out articulately and clearly – with evidence and suggestion, I think would make for a really enjoyable read. Sounds like bourgeois talk to me. <laughs> Terribly. Our, uh, our desirable mentions eerily have a theme. Uh, I The book I never want to see is uh, Slavoj Zizak's Elements of Style. Jesus. <laughs> Strunk and White did it right, and I don't want to see... Don't need to see it touched. I don't need to see Zizak trying to explain the serial comma rule. To to that end, I, I actually have Slavoj here to explain the serial comma. Uh, that is to say, in in the comma, which is <laughs> indicates a a pause, but not is uh, in other words, uh, the, uh, not a period, but yes. Uh, the book would be five hundred pages long right. for a style guide. We couldn't handle it. There'd be like. 20 pages about the ideological underpinnings of the semicolon. We can't have that, all right? So uh, some books are short and written by the people they're written for a reason. Uh, so maybe uh, leave Slavoy out of that one. I have one uh, of a... A remake you want to see or yeah, a dishonorable? A remake I want to see because okay. it's a terrible book and I want to, I want to see this remake. Uh, first, I would have... Um, Naomi Klein. She's not normally a fiction writer, but she, you know, she wrote the Shock Doctrine, which yeah, 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 describes disaster capitalism, late stage capitalism. I would have her rewrite the Fountainhead. So, oh, wow, <laughs> I could see Naomi Klein doing a lot of stuff. I, I wouldn't mind Naomi Klein's Starship Troopers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to see her like, yeah. And then uh, these libertarians did all these things, and society collapsed. Uh, I would, I would pay. I would Naomi. Or I would shrugged. back. I would yeah. back a Patreon with Naomi ruins libertarianism, <laughs> where that's just all that could just be your job now is rewriting libertarian novels. And <laughs> Atlas shrugged and society. I mean, collapsed. I'm down for twenty a month. Like I don't know <laughs> about y'all, but okay. Well, uh, on that note, those are the books that we'd like to see be rewritten by other people. Thanks so much for the suggestion, Greg B. We really appreciate it. And on that note, more beer, more stuff. We'll be right back. Hey, what are you drinking? Uh, so this is from Catawba Brewing, or Catawba Brewery. Oh, I was pausing because I couldn't tell how to say it. Yeah, so yeah, Catawba. We were both stymied I'm by thinking. that. A little bit. <laughs> Got to get that mo- next montage. Right? Got <laughs> it. Yeah. Anyways, this is the Riverkeeper Apple Sour Ale. And I got to say this. I, I'm thinking green apple, given what I'm seeing on the can. Oh, green yeah. I like the shit out of green apples. So I'm real excited about mm. this. Yeah. It, I mean. He's taking a drink. Good job marketing. I'm team wondering for that, if it has like a Starburst packaging. vibe to it. Yeah. It's beer. 
Ooh, you got Starbucks in my beer. You got beer in my Starbucks. That is not what I expected. Or Starburst, um, sorry. Starburst, yeah. There's Pretty like monster. a... I know. I think that's a three for me. I think mm. that's a buddy from Air Bud. Um, I like the... I don't know. I feel like when you put a green apple on a can and you call it a sour, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be sour. Tart, maybe. Um that is surprisingly a lot less than I expected in terms of flavor. So maybe this is not so much about me or the beer as much as it is about flawed expectations. But oh, yeah. Anyone like to uh, like to summarily be maybe disappointed? I will say this? this goes has gotten better near the bottom. Maybe something settled near the top. Sure. I don't know, but yeah, beers are weird. They, Ross? They're tricksy on you. They change. You see what I'm up. saying? I expected. Yeah. yeah. It's you can barely. Yeah, I can't taste the apple. No, there's not much there, and and it could be that maybe it's been sitting in the can for too long. Could be it's better on tap. I don't know. Yeah. Let me give it. I just in there. I just kind of thought we were going to get more. It's very forgettable. Yeah, it is. Um, which is a bummer because this was the one I was really looking forward to today. There's just not that quite a bit. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, well, anyways, uh, well, I mean, I'm not sure it's a four, but it's definitely a three. It's yeah, definitely it, it's a three. Not, it, yeah, it's definitely it's not bad. Better than it's not. No, bad. no, I was yeah. just looking forward to like a, a tart punch in the face. Yeah, and, green apples are much more intense. Right. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, we're back to ask mixed six, and we got to be honest with you. A few weeks ago, we tried this rapid fire bit because we had a bunch of questions that were like probably worthy of a couple sentences, but we'd be really stringing along a segment if we mm-hmm. tried to turn them into full answers. Yeah. And what happened was y'all sent us a bunch more like that, so we think we're going to do this rapid-fire thing again. Yeah, let's just tackle as many as we can get to and then shut it down when we can't get no more. No, I like All it. Right. I like Hit it. it and quit it. All right, so number one, Justin Burt, our man Justin. I'd like a mix six State of the Union. Good thing we just had a meeting about just that, Justin. We really did. Uh, so we would like to uh, get more backers on the show, obviously, because I'm a greedy capitalist, as everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Capitalist Caleb, as they all say. Yep. Um, Tattooed on his chest. <clears throat> we would like to have uh, some better fan engagement and have you guys to give us a State of the Union. So I am currently developing a survey which will go out soon where we can learn more about y'all and how you heard about the show and what you're backing at, if you're backing at it all and all that kind of stuff. And, um, we're looking to get more guests on the show this year. We would like to, um, expand the fourth, uh, fourth microphone that we've had a couple of times on the show we've had great guests we've had great guests we're also really interested in um developing at least two new segments in 2018 Mm -hmm. so um mock draft was like literally a last minute ad we were like looking for something different to do we were like what about this and mock draft has been fucking great like way better than we could have expected um but we want to continue to find new stuff like that too um and so we've got a few ideas in the hopper that we've been passing around one of which is the rapid fire round yeah Uh, and we're going to continue to explore some of these over 2018 as we continue to grow we definitely want to get our backers up we also want to be able to find people in physical spaces more yes so more attendance getting around more more springfield or regional events um hosting trivia nights and game nights and beer nights at some local establishments we're doing something for the springfield creatives group where we'll be out talking about the podcast so trying to expand our footprint yeah and i'm still uh trying to get uh something for a gaming pc together because uh you know PC gaming makes it as difficult as possible, but one day, if theoretically it's possible to get a gaming computer into my home, we could do some sort of uh, Twitch or Discord as a backer level. So yeah. I know there were concern questions about that from Justin, and you know I'm trying to get it set up, but you know it's PC gaming, and you know I only have so many hours in the day. Yeah. To- 
we're assemble uh, individual microchips we're, or whatever we're you people do. trying to grow um, because growth makes us, it makes it capable for us to do even more stuff. Yes. Uh, and we fucking love this. That's what our shareholders demand. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so we are, we are, this. we are really trying to <laughs> find. I'm the shareholder. We, yes. we literally just met. Uh, like, Thank you, shareholder Ross. Like a week ago and developed like probably a solid two page strategic plan for the mix six in 2018. Mm-hmm. And we'll be working through. Um, and you'll see the fruits of that in the weeks and months and episodes to come. So thanks so much for the question. Next question. Uh, Greg B asks, uh, finding the motivation to get things done can be pretty hard. What are some things you guys use to keep yourself motivated? I feel like we've touched on this stuff before, but it's not harmful to do a quick review. Not bad to revisit. So number one for me, music. Uh, I am an avid music listener during the day and I think I've probably been pretty open about this, but I am an unashamed fan of pop music. Pop music is in 2018 scientifically engineered to make me feel better as a human. I lean to th- lean into that. So my Spotify playlists are embarrassingly pop oriented. And you know what? I'm cool with that. So I listen to a lot of fucking music when I'm working pop music to get going, rat-a-tat to get writing. Uh, another thing that really, really keeps me motivated, procrastinating. You should try it. It is wonderful for your work output. Whenever you feel like it. Seems a bit paradoxical. You don't have but- to procrastinate right away. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> get to it later. Um, the, the thing that really helps me is that I work myself into such a state where I have to work on something that then I'm really super motivated and highly focused. And the third thing for me, and this one's really weird, but the search for the quote unquote idea state. I've had these moments in my life where I am just like putting stuff out. Flow is kind of how it's typically talked about. I'm flowing. And usually it is some combination of an appropriate amount of pressure, a really great physical setting, and the right tools and headspace in front of you to get work done. And honestly, one of the things that keeps me motivated is knowing that anytime I jump into something, I could, by one way or another, end up in that place. And it is Mm -hmm. a literal drug for me. Yeah. Uh, for me, I would have to say that uh, identity is probably a motivator as to why you're doing it in the first place, and that you want to be a type of person that does that thing. So, if you're talking about like motivation, is like I should fold that laundry eventually. I, I have no help for you. I'm obviously not very good at that. Uh, but if you're talking about motivation, like should I write or should I start this project? The thing that helped for me is that um, identity is not stable, and you don't. It doesn't stick on you. Uh, you're a writer when you're writing and never otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, if I'm going to talk about myself as a game designer, I feel like a douchebag every fucking time, even though I've designed a game and it is technically true. And it's because I've trained myself as like, I am a game designer, at which point I am actually designing games and at no other point. And then I'm another thing. Love it. Um, and so, like, this identity is like, I'm going to become a writer. Well, maybe, but you're not. Because you're not currently writing a thing. Mm-hmm. And I know it's kind of uh, bad for self-concept in the long run, but nobody said writing was healthy for your psyche in the long run, but uh, it gets shit done. So like, that's what you got to do. Uh, it, it so technically like, it gets things You're not the identity you want to be until you're currently doing it. And you won't be the identity that you want to be the second you stop doing it. And so the only, if you really want to be that identity, you're only doing it to be that identity during that time you're doing it. It doesn't stick to you. It's not magic. So. Bet you didn't think you were getting that, Greg B., did you? <clears throat> All right. Next question. Ken Ringwald asks, I'm curious about Caleb's mention of marginalia in a past episode. What books do you mark up and how, comma, added by me, you monster? You don't mark in a book ever? Mm, I have, but only like textbooks. Uh, see, I, I mean, I don't, 
I don't check books out from libraries precisely because I don't want to market other people's books. Like, so I mark in books all the time. I mean, what do you want? Like textbooks for certain taking notes on the background. Uh, if I'm going to use it for school for something like that, that's the only time I won't mark in the book, but then I'll post it for stuff I want to look at later. I will post it. Um, so I'll post it, note it. If I am reading, uh, so yeah, nonfiction of any type, same thing with that. Things I want to check back later. I will, if it's nonfiction and argumentative, I'll argue back at the book. Like I'll put things I need that they need to address later, mm-hmm. and I'll be angry if they don't address mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll argue back. And if it's fiction, I just put cool lines, like just like Seems man, fair. that was a damn cool line. Yeah. Like I thought that was really interesting. Like, I like it. I read one last night. I'm reading Blood Rarity, and I thought it was a great line. I can't remember it, but I don't have to because I marked it in the book. Yeah, like so, yeah. Uh, I I just mark in books. You're okay. supposed to do that. That's yeah, what we, they're for. We all make mistakes. They hold words. They don't have to be just one guy's words. I appreciate like, other marginalia, and like <clears throat> one thing I do like about reading ebooks on the Kindle is that you can see other people's highlights. Mm. Uh, you can mm-hmm. enable that. Yeah, that's great too yeah, on yeah. the Kindle. Yeah, I do like that. I mean, it's gotten me into trouble before. I, I mean, I have had some, you know, WTFs on like work documents that got passed around. I'm like, no, that's my copy. Damn it. Like, uh, but, you know, it's worth the risk. Helps me engage more fully with the text. <clears throat> James D. Burns. Next question asks, do you believe there are no original ideas anymore? No, I do not believe that. Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, Matt Price. <laughs> Matt Price wants to know, what are your thoughts on the X-Men? To be honest with you, the X-Men cartoon from the early 90s is one of the best cartoons in the history of cartoons. It might be second or third on the list, only behind Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. The X-Men arcade cabinet is still, to this day, one of the most fun games Who's your in main? the history of games. Uh, Colossus. Oh, man, mine too! Yeah. Yes! Only way to go. Yes! Nailed it. Podcast bros. Yes. Um, uh, What are your thoughts on the X-Men? It's so generally stated. I'm going to say pro. Yeah. Like it. Definitely like it. I'm pro X-Men. Except for X3, the last stand. We all agree on that. Thomas Novosel. not an X-Men. Fantastic artist. Thomas Thomas Novosel, who's done some great work, and you should definitely check out his Twitter because he posts some really cool stuff sometimes. Thomas asks, what are some strategies for overcoming the sitting in the corner and working on your own stuff or being a better participant at local events. This is also like assuming that most of the people there you don't know, i.e. library events, life drawing sessions, artist meetups, etc. Go ahead. I thought we were pretty clear about this with the whole podcast, that our solution to that is get a little drunk first. <laughs> right, right. Um, now, it might not be your solution, but I mean, it's really going to be... F- First, middle, and last for my advice. Being a little buzzed is the only way I survive events. I'm going to give the non-alcoholic answer first. I don't know what you're talking about. Which is, and this is not what I do. I want to be clear. This is <laughs> yeah, just, yeah I, you're doing that thing this, with me. Yeah, this is a hypothetical. Yeah, don't pretend. If I weren't getting drunk before. High and mighty. You're there at a place which uh, of which attendance is built on a, uh, a shared thread of interest. And so feeling comfortable, you've already got built-in small talk, and feeling comfortable intentionally embracing that built-in small talk seems like a good idea. Having said that, I just get drunk first. And so like (laughs) at Metatopia, where Caleb was like a little bit of a pseudo-celebrity, like night one, people were coming up to him like, hey, you're Caleb Stokes, will you sign my book? And I'm sitting there watching all this happen, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so cool, but also I don't know them. I went over to the bar and did drink two makers and a tall blue moon, and then I liked everybody. (laughs) And so that is my how I don't sit in the corner. To be clear, because you did that while I was there uh, awkwardly signing autographs, yeah. I had you get me a couple of makers and yeah. a blue, tall blue moon. We, we teamed up Because on it. it was st- people approaching me caused right. me an anxiety attack. So 
Yeah. So I mean, I'm sorry. I can't. We can't be more. Yeah. Strapping for the. I mean, I feel like alcohol has already been as helpful as it's going to be. Right. Yeah. We we have nothing compared to sweet sweet daddy alcohol. And and if you get through situations, if you can't have a drink beforehand, or for for any variety of reasons, or you think it's unhealthy that we're recommending a drink beforehand, a I think you know what you were getting into here with this. <laughs> and then B, like, uh, yeah, those are probably the instances in which I don't go to that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's an answer that's better than don't go to it. And I'm not saying that's not true. I just don't think that's the answer you're going to get from us. Right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, rapid fire round over. I feel really great about that. Yeah. I would say that's a second success. Colossus high five. Colossus high five. Our arms turned metal before yeah. we did that. <laughs> that's why it was so, that's why it was so loud. You could probably tell by the sound that it made Yeah. staring at producers. All right, you got to pick a for- second choice. Who is it? Uh, Storm. Ooh, that's a good pick. Yeah, I go Nightcrawler. Oh yeah, like oh the, porting the, around that yeah, screen, the zip, yeah, the yeah, zipping yeah. around. Nightcrawler. I really like Colossus is taken. I really liked Nightcrawler in the Sega Genesis game. Oh, Holy yeah. shit, that dude was. Also, that Sega Genesis game, that Sega Genesis game, and X Men versus Arcade on Super Nintendo. Sneaky hard video games. If we have any listeners beyond twenty eight, they are deeply confused right. about what we were talking. Unless about. they're dedicated, and that's probably runners. why that's we right. don't have those <laughs> listeners. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're not very popular. We'll get more beer and be back. <laughs> You almost broke the Stillwater rule because you just wanted to drink a beer. It's fizzing. Yeah, I I'm get trying it. to keep the table clean. So now that you can actually consume it, what are you about to drink? Uh, I'm going to drink Wicked Weed Brewing Company's Hop Cocoa Porter brewed with cocoa nips. Mm. I like most of those words. Yeah, those are pretty. It did. It did foam on him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good sign. I, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's. What I want to learn more about beer. Yeah. that's part of my 2018. <laughs> it's on the list. He seems contemplative. He's taking two steps before he's deciding. He's, no, he's it's going to be a buddy. That's a three-year bud. That's a yeah. three. Yeah. Um, it's a lot smokier than you expect from the description. Porter, though, it's I got, feel like there's I mean some porters, yeah, but there. like it seems a little bit more tobacco-y than you'd expect from Ooh, a cocoa nib. Like, I here's the thing. I'm coming to around, coming around on the tobacco. Yeah, I'm starting to like that more and more. Yeah, but it it's not bad by any means. It's just not quite what I expected. But it's a solid three. That's a serviceable porter. I would order that, is what I'm saying. You would porter that, yeah. Um, no, I, like I that. appreciate that, Joe. Thank you. I like that quite a bit. I got to be honest. Yeah, like, it's pretty good. That might be a four for me. Yeah, that's fair. And I bet on tap that thing is drinkable AF. Oh, I bet on tap that's easily a four. Yeah, I could easily see that. On yeah. tap, I wonder if that doesn't have a little bit of like a black IPA flavor yeah, to it. But a porter in a can for me, unless there's unless there's nitro, and mm. and I know we part ways on nitro. Uh, we do. D- the two roads diverged in a yellow wood, my yeah. friend. Uh, but uh, a-, a porter in a can is probably going to lose something for me unless yeah. there's nitro in it. That's reasonable. Um, hey, we're into This Was a Mistake, which was the number two vote getter this week. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about? Uh, we're going to talk about, and this was like number two by a vote. Yes. Like it was neck and neck between this and getting lit. Um, we're going to talk something I find to be a mistake that's driving me absolutely fucking nuts right now on social media. Uh, what I'm going to call a mistake is ascribing everything to the president. Um, so in our current aspect, it's going to be ascribing the Dow Jones crash to the president. And it's obviously because Bitcoin is undervalued. That's where it came from. <laughs> but um, I see, uh, oddly enough, my Twitter and my Facebook, my other social media is pretty leftist. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't want to be political on this podcast. You have an agenda. Oh, I might have an you agenda. Jeez. Uh, but it's pretty leftist. And the thing that's driving me absolutely nuts is people that are otherwise rational um, who have on their same very feeds been like arguing that like you know the economic boost that the Trump era people are saying is like their fault and like they are the people that have recovered the economy and it's the Trump boom right um, are saying like the president doesn't have a control of that aspect of the economy the president is not linked to their aspect on the on the uh, Dow Jones in any kind of meaningful way mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. shows direct correlation there might be a long-term effect from major economic policies but they're hard to quantify yeah and they're making these rational arguments and then it goes down a thousand points is like see what he fucking did right. you see what he did to the he ruined everything and I'm just like no like no, like, and it's not just Trump, but it is Trump. But it's not just Trump. No. They they have a lot of power. Like, don't discount the amount of power and don't discount the amount of harm a president can do. But at the same time, you have to stop ascribing everything to our American king, because that's not how it works. There's other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, saying that he single-handedly crashed the Dow Jones a thousand points is as ridiculous as saying, as him saying that he saved all airlines right, right. by not touching the FFA, the, the, what is it, FAA? Mm-hmm. And, like, he saved Malaysian airlines by not having an effect on American airline policy. Like, it's as ridiculous as saying that. And yet, what happens is that it just is a way to confirm your policy. Like, your the responsibility you think a president has is inversely proportional to your approval rating of that president. If, if you hate Obama, everything is Obama's fault to the point where you get a thanks Obama, right? And if you hate Trump, we're finding the reverse is true. Everything is Trump's fault to the reverse end. Now, I'm not saying don't hate Trump, but I am saying... Be consistent in your arguments. I've I've never been more tired. Yeah, the cherry of, picking. And like I feel like in this world of like utterly blown up and wasted political values where nothing is what it should be and nothing makes any rational sense. The fact that like this is some sort of sacred cow that like yeah. the president is determined by the stock market or the president has control of this or that is absurd to me. Like, it's utterly ridiculous, yeah. right? Yeah. So, a couple of thoughts on that. So, one is, um, while I agree with you that it's bad practice, um, and I do agree with you on that, I think that there is a precarious situation here, which is, but if Trump wants to take credit for a robust economy and use the stock market as an example of that, then you would, by extension, also be responsible for a bad stock market, right? So so I agree with you in principle, but I also think that in some ways he kind of like may have like kind of, you know, um, uh, set the stage here for himself to be on the wrong side of this argument. Having said that, um, what is frustrating to me about what you've identified as the core of the this was a mistake, is the like kind of shorthanded or lazy argument that comes out of, well, it's Trump's fault. Um, <laughs> and I was tired of that as under Obama, and I was tired of that under w- George W. Bush. Yeah. Um, that as an explanation for a thing, or maybe more insidiously, as the reason to stop in critically interrogating why a thing is happening or why a thing is true, that I am vehemently against. Yeah, like, I'm not saying don't say George W. Bush was responsible for the disastrous campaign in Iraq. Say that, but don't say he did it alone. 
Sure. Like, don't say he did it by himself. Like, don't say he did it without a cabinet of idiots, many of whom are still involved in politics. Don't say he did it without news media, many of whom are still touting what we should think about international politics, despite the fact that they got boondoggled by the most obviously fabricated evidence in the history of journalism. Like, make it a more complex issue, because it is a more complex issue. Right, right. It's easy to hate a figurehead, but, like, please stop just hating the figurehead. Right. Does that make sense? It does make sense, and I think that where where we've gotten ourselves kind of socioculturally, interestingly, is that Trump wants to take the complexity out of most issues and create a shortcut between good thing and him. And I think the back half of that is that you've also created a cognitive shortcut between bad thing and you. So in some ways, I feel like, you know, you're sitting in a pot of water, you boiled yourself. Yeah. The other hand is that, the other other piece there is the, yeah, but there's so much more happening in between these things that really does merit critical attention. And and in some ways, that's policy at, if not the local level, then certainly at the um, interesting level. And those are the kinds of conversations that I think can be more valuable. I mean, I'm not totally sure. And the reality is politics is politics. And in some ways, it's mired in a bunch of bullshit and blah, 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 truth. But I am not for, yeah, I'm definitely not for... um, this us them uh, cognitive shortcut between good and bad where we've landed on this stuff. Yeah, and also like I get the idea of like okay, it's a reductive argument that the candidate has made to get into office. So like when that reductive argument swings, we can be reductive back. But don't play that game because it's not going to be like right. Oh, I'm throwing your argument back at you. Have you converted yet? Have yeah. you seen the error of your ways? Because no, right. Like they didn't see that Nazism was bad. Like yep. they're of course they didn't see the error of their ways. They they're not capable of it. Right. Like. It, liberals being like, ooh, I throw your argument back yet, and it's not internally consistent. Yeah. Is the equivalent of, like, Trumpers being, like, called deplorable. Is like, I'm standing in a trash can. Is that triggering you, Libs? I'm yeah. like, you're just making yourself look like a bigger idiot. Like, <laughs> they don't, they're not arguing in good faith. Why are you arguing in good faith back? Right. Even, like, you're not scoring points. No one's, like, going, oh, and dropping the mic. And like, I, you don't have a crew behind you. It's just dumb argument. Right. Like, yeah, and some of it I don't even think is in good faith. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I think the, well, you're doing it too, uh, is not really argument in good faith. Yeah. Um, it's observational. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, maybe. But I don't think it advances the conversation. And as we all know, I've you know got some thoughts about what it means to really engage in good argument uh, or argument in good faith. And I'm not sure that's totally it. So I find the whole thing tiring. Um, I typically like to pay attention to the news. Um, some days less so, some days more so. I try to read the Washington Post. I understand it's probably liberal biased. I, you know, I, I own that. That's where I am. I try to watch MSNBC fairly regularly. I cannot watch Fox News. I'm sorry if you're a Fox News supporter. That's your thing. That's cool. Uh, I'm I'm not right. Sorry. Yeah, my, you should listen to a different podcast. my version of reality. Thanks drama. so far. Right, but my my drama of reality version uh, is really different than that. Yeah, so I'm not yeah. worried about it. Um, uh, but I, I can't get behind this. Um, I think I think the whole thing's kind of shit. At least blame it on a party. Like that's probably not sure. completely accurate either way. It doesn't right. counter in everything. But yeah. don't don't do not ascribe everything politically to one thing. No, like, it's dumb. Don't be like Trump won because Russia. I'm like, well, yeah, they probably did some shit. But there's also a lot of stupid people in America, and he also had a lot of money, and the media also owes something into it, and electoral politics, and gerrymandering is a problem, and like whatever you want to talk about. Like, there's more factors. Okay, and at least make it a larger group issue rather than like one man it's he's not machiavelli this isn't a reenactment of the prince he's not like playing eight dimensional chess it's not moriarty versus holmes like it's a gasalt like at least acknowledge that in the way you 
phrase your arguments, right? I'm, I'm also willing to go out on a limb and say it's not just it's not just that there are a lot of stupid people in America. I know plenty of smart people. No, it's, I'm saying I think that's a factor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's uh, a lot of cruel people in America. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I um yeah um I'm not a fan of where we are on, yeah. on this bit. Yeah. Um, America, I'm talking at you. Uh, one more segment. One more beer. One more dog to rate. We'll be right back. Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is Highland Brewing Company's Mandarina IPA um, and Stillwater Roll. Here we go. All Get right. after it. All of these have been from North Carolina, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that was clear at the beginning of the episode, but they are. North Carolina. Oh, that's yep. good. Ooh. Highland. That was a solid winter ale. Yeah. I'm going to give it a shot. What is that? It's a Mandarin IPA. I that, mean, like, what's the rate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the Ivy. Um, how hoppy is it? That's probably a four for me. That's probably a beast from They're Sandlot. really subtle. Like, yeah. that's one of the most subtle IPAs yeah. I've had, which is what I need out of an IPA. Yeah. I don't need you to be like, IPA right. hops. Right. That's uh, really fucking drinkable. Like, I could. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. bet on Uber hoppy IPAs are the Ed Hardy shirt of the craft beer world. They're yeah. not very subtle, but that is. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that has some taste other than the hops. Though. Yes, that's, that's a beast. That's what you want. Yes, <laughs> that's what I want. And the Mandarin here plays an important role. Mm-hmm. Um, it, isn't, it isn't an afterthought or like, a, oh, on the back end. No, Mandarin. it's definitely in there. It's, it's front and center. I mean, it's, the Mandarin. It, it's, it's, it's a Thank three you. for me, but like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's I, a good three. I, I yeah. think it, if I were a more, um, uh, if I were a regular IPA drinker now, this mm-hmm. would probably be a three for me. But because I avoid IPAs. And this one is so drinkable, it has moved into the If IPAs category. were a regular Ooh, a four. Uh, mm-hmm. realm of beer within the American the craft brew being space, it might be a three for me as well. But the fact that it's not turbocharged and extra right. all, all the time is yeah. uh, definitely elevating it in my yeah. palate. That's a real drinkable beer. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're into drunk enough. What are we talking about? Uh, so I just kind of came up with this on the fly. I don't have an answer for this, but because uh, I've, I've gone both ways on this issue, but... Um, is there any worth to the bumper sticker philosophy found on the internet, or does it fundamentally disparage introspection and inquiry? By bumper sticker philosophy, I'm talking about shit that's randomly thrown into forums, like, is a hot dog a sandwich? Is water wet? Like, this sort of semantic uh, argument for argument's sake kind of thing. Now, is that a great introduction to sort of like semantics 101 or like arguing about terms? Is it, is it a way to get on board with sort of larger philosophical concepts, which we've talked about in the past, yeah. talking about educating people in philosophy? Right. Or is it just like where philosophy gets its bad name? Yeah. It is the quintessential argument for arguing, sake, bullshit for bullshit, frivolous. frivolous, useless nonsense that people rightly reject in favor of more useful engagement, not knowing that philosophy could have an effect on your life, mm-hmm. worried about something, say, more significant about what a, qualifies as a sandwich. Right. So um, what are your thoughts on this? I do think there is some worth to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to take this in two, two strains. Strain one is, let, let me describe what I think the actual worth of this thing is. Strain two is how I feel about it. Yeah. And I'm going to get strain two out of the way first. <laughs> All right. Um, Interesting number theory there, but okay. Yeah. Um, 
I there are times when I find these things interesting and fun and accessible, and there are times where I find these things maddening and frustrating and a waste of time. And so I feel like I will not make a categorical claim about this stuff because day to day, minute to minute, I be might be more interested in having a playful romp through the idea forest. Um, and sometimes I want to fucking rip your head off if you bring this stuff up. A child could ask me if a is a hot dog a sandwich, like earnestly wanting to know for yeah. like say they're making some sort of like playhouse kind of issue right. like and categorizing their things and I would still roll my eyes at that child and <laughs> sigh like a little for you is a hot dog uh-huh. a sandwich oh Jesus Felicia come on really not today like um I look by and large yes but like there are times where I'm like well this is kind of fun let's do this um and so I don't I don't want to make like big grand claims about that stuff but as to as for strain one what I think is the more is there or is there not worth in this I do think there's worth in it and I think there's worth in it for a couple of reasons reason number one is and we've talked about this in order I think to have really good philosophical conversations people have to be at least comfortable with the idea of introspection uh or with taking language apart a little bit yeah and um, the difficulty of classical philosophical texts and the difficulty and the size and scope of some classic philosophical questions is not easy for everyone and, frankly, is not enjoyable for some people. Um, but that doesn't mean that I think the nature of the conversation, the form of the conversation, which is to start to pull at the seams of what words mean and what ideas are, mm-hmm. is a really, really valuable skill set to have. And sometimes... Bumper sticker philosophy is the best way for that. Yeah, for me, that's the utility. Like, I've used some of this stuff in the classroom. Right. You need to get people inspired to do a close reading and attack every word in a very minute statement to show how it can be, you know, ripped apart in a number of ways and how the meaning is not sacrosanct or or in any way static. uh, And it's a dynamic thing that shifts and moves with the discourse. Right. Uh, So I think it's useful in that. However, it's been a while since I've seen it used that way since I've used it. Now, that said, I could be using it in the exact same way people on like your average message board are using it. And of course, it's just okay because I'm using it. Right. Uh, that said, I could also be right and I'm using it for its intended limited purpose and other people on the internet need to go away somewhere else. Um, so yeah. both of those things are possible. I'd argue equally possible. But yeah. then again, I have a stake in this race. For sure. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. It, it does seem to me to go towards like Zen cones. Like it's not really about Buddhism. It's about master being master and maintaining his part in the economic hierarchy to you've achieved enlightenment. And so he's just finding a hole in language to devil you with. Uh, for this meaningless like distinction in semantics, and it's becoming you know n- nothing that's worthwhile. Sure, I mean I think that the the there's not a lot of value in solving these problems for what it's worth. Yeah, you know what I mean. But I think that the practice of engaging in these problems is interesting. Let me tell you another reason I think there's some worth here, and I've talked at length about this. Um, we have a real difficulty, at least I think. Again, not to make too grand a claim, but I think that there is a little bit of a social issue around separating person from argument, mm-hmm. uh, and that's largely because the things that we end up arguing about are about our conviction. Convictions, they're part of our identity or ideals or values, and it's hard for us to see both sides of that issue. And I think that 
um, dumb, reductive questions like these are not so bound in our identity that it's easy to take both sides of these issues. Yeah, that that's a utility. It is pretty contextless. Right. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm capable from a learning perspective of both making an argument about why is why a hot dog is a sandwich and also why it's not a sandwich and not feeling like either one is pulling on my worth as a human, which oh. makes switch side debate or critical reviewing a question from multiple angles, I think, easier. And I think that that, too, is a practice which is useful. And you're saying, I've moved to is water wet because I found that like the identity is now wrapped up in the simple hot dog a sandwich question. Mm. Like I can't I can't ask that anymore without being like, all right, well, you're a rational human being and you're a contrarian. Mm-hmm. You're you're just here to piss people off. So I know who the troll in the room is right. the second I ask the hot dog question. The water wet thing, that'll actually cause people to give pause. So I, I, I do think if there is a use to this bumper sticker philosophy, it's really if you haven't seen the bumper sticker before. If it is this sort of like identity unbound statement where you're just analyzing the words and the meaning of the words yeah. and you're going to have, yeah, like that switch back to bake where yeah. either side is equally good, but you're just having an argument for the an argument to examine the semantics of the idea. Yeah. I think that's worthwhile. I think it's becoming rare because as the internet memes the shit out right. of this bumper stick philosophy and trolls every forum from here to God's kingdom. Um, it's becoming quickly identity based. Like even asking the question yes. is like, well, you wanted to, cause an argument today because you're bored. Like, I know a lot about your identity because you brought that into this Steven Universe forum or wherever the fuck (laughs) we're having this conversation. Like, I know a lot about, like, why you're here and what you want out of this engagement because this is how you chose to represent yourself. Like... We're in our camps now. The Venn diagram has separated. We have separate circles. Like, But, like, I think their use was that sort of, like, Gasalt, contextless, identityless, pure debate realm, yeah. and to think that that is possible with other issues, but like I worry that as it gets more memesized and thrown throughout the throughout the internet, that like it's not even that anymore. Like I'm starting to get tired as water wet. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, I definitely think that you know uh, taking a contextless thing out of context to create context around it is really bad for the contextless <laughs> premise. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I'm I'm with you on. You that. might want to type that one out. Let it just uh, just look make, at, we'll, we'll make up the episode title. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. Context on context on context. Um, so. I agree with you on that. I, I don't think that that is a direct challenge to the value of those types of questions. In some ways, for me, these perform the same mental or academic function as like some of those weird word problems. Like, you know, so-and-so is this tall, but so-and-so is this tall, but this person can't be as tall as that person. You know, riddles, functionally. How many were going to Van Ives? Yeah, that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, that it... One of the hardest thing I think for one of the hardest things I think for especially early students uh, of philosophy classes or early theory classes to do is to show their work, right? Mm-hmm. How did you arrive at the conclusion at which you've arrived? Because it's not just I feel this way. There needs to be some record of how you've ended up where you've ended up, uh, cognitively, logically, based on proof, whatever it is. And I think that the nice thing about these types of problems is that it's a really easy way to learn to show your work. So I've defined sandwich yeah. and the components of a sandwich. And so I think not only does it does it provide a kind of like value-free system for learning how to argue, which mm-hmm. is a really healthy term, uh, and does it create some switch side debate opportunities where because I'm not particularly bound to one side or the other, uh, I feel good flopping a little bit here. 
But it also gives me an opportunity to then show the process of really dig into the nuts and bolts here. So I look, did I use them a lot in my classes? No. Did I use them ever in my classes? Probably not. And if I went back and started teaching tomorrow, would I? I doubt it. Well, in college? Yeah. Yeah. You need to be there by college, right? Well, no, because actually, like, I've used it with, like, junior high kids to be like, this is what close reading is. I don't actually know that you do need to be beyond that. So, like, for example, (laughs) I I used to teach a rhetorical theory class that was a survey of rhetorical theories from um, the pre-Socratic Greeks, you know, through the 1990s, 1980s, Michel Foucault, right? Probably the All last right. person we would cover. Um, and um, one of the things that Don Parson at KU used to do, which was really cool, is he would kind of give you these problem statements and then have you take on these positions from the varieties of different philosophers yeah. and argue. And I actually think that looking oh, yeah, back you're on this person now. these yeah. kinds of, yeah, I mean, substanceless uh, questions... Uh, are really, really good topics for those. Take the perspective of insert If Wittgenstein could bear to speak in right. public, would he think a hot dog is a sandwich? Yeah, yeah, I mean, a little bit, right? Like, <laughs> like here, embrace this paradigm and now engage this substanceless issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of think, think these things work as nice little pivot points. Yeah. Do I think that the, the solution to the question is interesting? No, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> but I think that, I think that the, the thing as a Rubik's Cube to be studied and moved around and, and flipped in a variety of different angles and you know, viewed from 360 degrees, provides some meaningful academic artifact. Yeah, I think these things have some worth. Uh, to, to find that worth and to find that utility that I fear these things lacks, could we at least say that if you're going to say these sort of bumper sticker philosophy things, it needs to be in a room in a physical space with other people. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't be And that not guy. like your Facebook status. Yeah, don't be the highest guy on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, not, don't be the highest that's guy not interesting. I mean, oh, cool, man. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, you, don't choke this out at me while you're like eating a double-decker taco. I mean, I'm not interested in that, nor am I interested in you trying to show me uh, what I can only think of is like, uh, you know, sophomore in college just read some critical theory existentialism where you're responding to a deep, meaningful debate with, yeah, but is water wet? As an attempt to show people that you understand the issue on it. Fuck you, man. No, you don't. That's ridiculous. You're being a dick, is what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, you've discovered right Tumblr. You yeah. haven't proved anything else beyond that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I have no interest in that. These things should not be used as academic throwing stars. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's stupid. That was my high school scout band. <laughs> yeah. no. Hey, yeah. can we get some actual non? <laughs> Non-proverbial right. academic throwing stars because yeah. that would be fucking great. They just have different like fate like Nietzsche. Like, oh, you just look down and there's Nietzsche in your show. Oh, damn you know? it! Yeah. Uh, yeah. So no, I'm I'm actually kind of interested in this stuff. Debates I, would be a lot more interesting. I'm just saying. I suggest that in in the in lieu of one movie day, in fact, we do a round of bumper sticker debates uh, <laughs> using different philosophers and different Caleb and Spencers from different episodes of the mix. I'm busy. Oh, I have okay. stuff to do. That great. Good to know. See you there. <laughs> Um, hey, if you've been listening to whatever this is, we appreciate it so much. Uh, it means that you support the Mix 6 in literally any way that you can, and we love you so much for that. We hope you get as much out of this as we do. Um, if you're not already following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mixed 6. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Mixed 6. If you're looking for something to listen to while you work, feel free to check out YouTube, where we've got the Mixed 6 podcast videos. They're coming online slowly but surely. We've got a few of the original episodes of Snippets of Adventure up, and I'm sure producer Ross will put more up when he gets back from a country. Uh, multiple countries, actually. <laughs> multiple countries. Uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and the Philippines. Yeah, I was going to guess maybe one of those. Mm. Also, I was going to say Thailand. Um, yeah, so way off there. Yeah, well, I just knew it was a country. He so. got half of it, right? That's no. right. Phonetically. Mm, did he? 
You can't prove that. Um, I mean, is water wet, guys? Uh, uh, you could also send us things if you want. Games to play, olive oil, whatever you would like to send in the Ooh. mail to The Mix so 6. So many salads. 2131 West Republic Road, number 101, Springfield, Missouri, 65807. Uh, Nick Hamanet, for example, has already used this to send us a really cool game that we're in the process of learning and will play in the next month or so. Uh, and we're happy to interact with even more stuff that you can send us. Um, thanks so much for everything that you do for being a member of the Mix 6 community. We appreciate it so much. Once again, I'm Spencer. Is it really a podcast if it's on your auto download, but we you never listen to it? Turn the mics off. <laughs> turn, turn the mics off right now. This oh. was a, um, so. Anyways, there's oh. an anime that this reminds me. This of. was a medium so time. <laughs> it's called Bright. <laughs> Done. anything in your life that you want changed. That's when it started.